Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Hey everyone, Chidham here from the What I Wish I Knew podcast by Dental Head Start. Today we talk about the prosthetic side of implants and basically the, the side of implants where you have to deal with the lab. Have you ever um, tried to restore an implant and, you know, gone to fill out the lab form and been a little confused by what's meant to be there? Or have you ever opened up an implant catalogue and looked at the prosthetic side of all of the components? It's bloody confusing. There's a lot there. Um, And, you know, between the abutments and the screws and the impression copings and the design, there is a lot to know. Today we're joined by Rob Delu, and we have a really fantastic conversation about what you need to know about the lab side or the restorative side of implant pros, how to make decisions around what abutments you have, what sort of screw channels uh, you pick, whether you should have provisionals. So he goes into a really nice overview of, around that decision making and how best to communicate with your lab so that ultimately you can get the best outcome for your patients. Enjoy. Yeah, look, I think it's uh, we're in an age of danger. Let's rip the Band-Aid off. Um, anyone doing implants now, do it once and do it properly because it's going to come back and bite you. Now, there's a lot of third-party components um, that are being supplied very cheaply and I just don't think that that's, that's good dentistry for anybody. Can you just rewind and explain to those who don't haven't do, done implants, what are third-party components? So let's go back 30 years ago. And, and sadly, I remember implantology back when, you know, companies, there were probably three or four implant companies worldwide and that was about it. You know, the, the, there was the, the three eyes, the Noble Biocare, which at that time were called Noble Pharma. Uh, there was Straumann and that was about it really. There weren't many implant companies around. And everything was fairly much cement on back then. And, you know, they were cemented on just really small thimbles of, of titanium. And that's probably starting to, the penny's starting to drop with a few people now because that's what we've come back to today. And what we found out back then is that that didn't really work because, you know, cementing things subgingerly, you would end up with excess cement and a whole bunch of, you know, infections and fistulas down the track and, and crowns rocking off and debonding. Now, you know, implants today, I think there's probably 15 or 1600 different implant companies is what's being being reported. And everybody, I think most implants will integrate. You know, I think most services are pretty good these days and, and most implants are going to integrate quite well. But a simple philosophy that needs to be followed is let's let's think about what the patient sees. And what the patient sees is the tooth. They don't give a rat's razu what the implant looks like underneath. They want to know that it's going to be there for a long time, that there's some history behind it. But they want to know that that tooth that they're paying thousands of dollars for and and not going on holiday for, for one tooth, is going to be there for a lifetime or at least 20 years. There are no shortcuts in this. So I think that anybody that's doing implant work, they need to have a simple philosophy. Work backwards. What does the implant tooth look like? And what prosthetic components are going to support that? Uh, What does the implant company or the implant that you're putting into the patient's mouth, what what prosthetics does that support? Is it going to give a root-to-tooth solution? 
and what I mean by that is, is you know, if is is there an, a customized abutment solution uh, that's going to give you the correct emergence profile? Is that system clamped together or is it cemented on? So a lot of the third party components now, and a lot of the and and look, a lot of the, the mainstream companies have got their own titanium inserts now as well to compete with that, and internal milling and serics and so on and so forth, whereby there's small thimbles of titanium that a large long crown is cemented onto. And, and what we're finding is that the emergence profiles are too thick or too thin uh, and those uh, crowns are fracturing around the emergence profile or they're, they're simply over-contoured and causing a lot of soft tissue degradation uh, or ultimately the screws are loosening because the screw is not a company screw. It's slightly off-thread. The direct response to doing something like that for most dentists is the patient walks in and says, oh, this tooth feels a bit loose, so the dentist screws it a little bit tighter and then a little bit tighter the next time, a little bit tighter the next time. And most implants today are internally connected. So they're internal connections like a chamber with thin titanium walls with a cone that's going, being pressed down into it more and more. So again, simple engineering will tell you that the more that, that screw gets tightened, the more pressure there is on the wall of the implant. And we're finding that implants are starting to split like flowers. Now, if, if it was a genuine component, then it's got a screw that has a tolerance and, and it's designed for that implant, it can only go so far. And the abutment that's going into that fixture can only go so far. So, you know, I think that it's really important that if we're doing implants or restoring implants is to really have a great understanding of the prosthetic components that go on top. And, you know, there are some implant companies out there that unfortunately their components really aren't up to scratch and some third-party components are actually better than what the company components are. There are certain implant systems, which I won't name, where you know a company like Osteon down in Melbourne, um, their abutments are far better than what the company abutments are because the, the, the manufacturing processes of the company are actually made by the other third-party companies anyway. So who makes these decisions about what um, components to use at the prosthetic level and how would a dentist know? Yeah, really good question. Who who makes the decision and who wears the cost when it all goes wrong? Um, and I think the onus is put on the technicians far too often. And, you know, it, I had a conversation with a couple of young dentists yesterday where they're getting into implants, but all they're interested in is, is how cheap can they do it and using a really cheap foreign implant. And so you can imagine that the conversation didn't really go too far because you know, I couldn't get the message across that you need to use quality components with implants and, and have that, that vision of what works on top. So genuine components are usually something you would recommend, but not always, is that right? Depending on the, on the, on the, on the implant. So you've got to know what the capabilities of each fixture is. So, you know, the big, the big game changer, I guess, in implantology in, in recent years has been angulation correction with abutments or ASC, angulated screw channel, biaxial uh, connections, or, or you know, uh, Southern have got the biaxial implant, which is another way of doing it where, you know, the head of the implant is, is slightly angled to correct the angle of the screw access hole. And there's, dis there's different versions of that, you know, and, and I think that um, as, as technicians, most technicians should know what implant system supports the prosthetic components, what's, what's available. But I think it's really important that dentists know, you know, in the anterior region, what particular implant, what component is going to give you the best result. So um, it might be an internal connection, um, but, and it's on a slight angle. 
but can you have that as a screw retrievable prosthetic? Is it going to be compromised with having uh, essentially a, a titanium insert and cementing um, you know, the crown and abutment onto that? And what we're finding is a lot of those cases are failing. And it might not be failing one, two years down the track. It might be three, five years down the track. But they're failing because the, the, there's just too much force and length above that titanium insert. It's simple engineering. You know, you're banging on something that's longer than the titanium insert. Something's got to give. And generally, it's the cement bond. So is there um, an instance where you do recommend cement on Look, I think, I think there's with with there's certainly a place for titanium inserts, but I think a simple mainly in the posterior region, okay, and it's it's a simple rule of two thirds. So if the titanium insert is two thirds of the height of the clinical crown, then it's going to work. You know, it's, it doesn't have room to debond, it doesn't have room to move, um, and that again, that's just simple engineering. In the anterior region, I think that what you need to be doing as dentists is, is actually, if you're not placing the implants yourself, then having a great understanding with the surgeons that are uh, putting the implants in with you to actually dictate what fixture you want to be placed. And, you know, there, there are few and far between implant companies that actually give you um, a, a really good angulated solution without trying to promote too many companies here. You know, I think Noble Biocare in the anterior region are probably the only company that they've got the best solution there with the ASC abutment. Um, and that's with the conical connection. Lovely implant, works really well, um, but the solutions on top just make life simple. And you're in total control of the emergence profile. You can have an angulation correction of up to 20, 25 degrees. Other companies spruik that you can do that, but it's a different technology. So the ASC abutment is three components. It's a, it's a metal insert, and then there's the, the, the customised abutment over the top, which we're building ceramic onto, with a screw axis coming through the lingual. But the screw actually engages with the zirconia, not the titanium. So it's a clamp force. It's clamping everything together as it's being torqued down at 35 newtons. Whereas the other solutions with the other companies are pretty much just copies of what's called a dynamic abutment, which effectively is just a tall titanium sleeve with the back end of it chopped off. So, you know, if that's in an anterior region, as you could imagine, you've got this longer part of the titanium sleeve pointing out on the buckle, and you've then got to cement a crown and abutment over the top of that. So, you know, if you're looking for high-end aesthetics, you've got the compromise of, okay, the technician's now put in a really tricky position here. They've got to try and create something that looks beautiful, but they're, they're, they're shadowed by that titanium sleeve that's poking out through the buckle. So then their option is to cut that titanium sleeve shorter. Now we've got an engineering issue because there's lower teeth that are going to be banging into the cingulums or the incisal edge of that tooth. And eventually it's just going to rocket off that cement. It's going to debond that very little amount of cement around that, that crown and that titanium sleeve. So that's not really a true angulated solution. So in those cases, you're actually better off having a cement on crown and going back to the old school, whereby we're, you know, customising a zirconia abutment um, with lovely margins and highly polished emergence profiles and then cementing a crown on so it's not screw retrieval.
Aligners are becoming an integral part of practice, and whether you are new to aligner therapy or an experienced practitioner, the opportunity is vast. But how do you do that well? And how do you do that profitably? Well, Dr. Jeff Hall and Dr. Jesse Green have got together to help you with both of these key problems in aligner therapy. Dr. Jeff Hall is going to teach you how to do clear aligners to a high standard and give you the confidence to be able to treatment plan and troubleshoot your patients. And Dr. Jesse Green is going to show you how to do this more efficiently, more profitably, and to get more patients like these into your practice. Solving these problems and getting you profitable in clear aligners is what Clear Aligner Excellence, their new education platform, is all about. It also gives you huge discounts on the aligner lab fees. There's almost no reason not to find out more. Clearex.com.au I think one of the tricky things for young dentists, so think about those who would be only three, four, five, six years out of uni with little to no implant training at the university level. Uh, They're often overwhelmed or confused by what's under the gum in an implant. Even I get confused by some of the technical terms, things that are related to specific brands like ASC. I only, you know, it wasn't until I did my guide course that I realized what ASC was or what it meant or when to use it. So for do you have any advice for those that are starting out with implants that are relatively new? How, like what's a logical process to go about planning and how they select what prosthetics to ask for? First and foremost, find a good lab. You know, find a lab that's got runs on the board, really good reputation with implantology. Not yours, right? Yours no, is rubbish. No, and it is not ours, and that's not, not <laughs> that's not self promoting. There's there's some great technicians out there, and and there's a lot of guys that have got a wealth of experience in, in implants. And you know, most technicians that are at the that have been around the traps for a while will will be able to tell you what implant system you should be using for those scenarios. What you'll find are the guys that are, you know, a little bit cutthroat. They're they're undercutting each other and so on and so forth. You'll find that those labs are typically the guys using third party components and that will say yes to everything. They're not the ones you're going to learn from. So you know, talk to people like yourself or or, or you know the periodontists or you know look up some some guys that have been around for a long long time like uh, like David Dunn or. Um, George Powell and, and some people at Andrew Prito, guys that have been around for a long time and they've had the experience and worked with technicians and, and various technicians over the years. I think everybody needs a mentor and I feel really sorry for a lot of these new grads because they've got such a, a plethora of things being thrown at them with Facebook, you know, and, and DPR and, and Instagram and so many things that must be just so confusing. But find a mentor, find a good lab, uh, and most most technicians will open the doors to young dentists because you know that's that's passing on knowledge and and helping them. Um, so my my advice to young dentists would be to to do your research who who does great work and knock on their door. Don't be afraid to knock on the door and say, "Can I ask a question?" And I, and I think you know I know that you've never been afraid to do that, and and there are a number of dentists that have not not been afraid to do that, and and. There's so much benefit to be gained from both people in doing that. Young dentists get to learn, the older dentists get to teach and pass pass the baton, so to speak. Yeah, and another source of information that's often overlooked is if you pair with a good implant company, usually they their reps, they know their products and their prosthetic components inside out. Yeah, they do, and they know the good labs, you know, and, and they're a wealth of information. 
and they'll pass pass you on to people that actually have got some runs on the board or be able to tell you which dentists are good dentists um, that do reputable work. Yeah, so when I guess when you've got a case, let's say you've got an anterior case um, and you're, you know, it gets to the point where it's integrated and you're at the impression stage and you get your lab form out, what are we writing in there? Help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, help. And, and you know, I had a case uh, today actually with a dentist and, and exactly that, you know, the implant had come back, the letter had come back from the the um the surgeon that had placed the implant with a glowing report of integration and, you know, congratulations, I've done second stage surgery, there's a healing abutment on there and it's ready for restorative. It's a single central, okay, and the zeniths are way out. So if if that case ended up with somebody with a little less experience, you know, the technician once they've poured that impression up is looking at a soft tissue model that's cylindrical. It's not it's not the same intaglio shape that it should be. So the zeniths aren't matching. So that technician's now got two choices. They can, well, they've got three choices. One, they can just go ahead and make it uh, like a ridge lap, or they can trim all of the soft tissue away, which a lot of guys will probably do, and deliver the, the crown back. And you poor dentists are going to have to put that crown in and, and try and hold the patient in the chair as you watch the tissue blanch and blanch and blanch. And probably, you know, lose a lot of blood flow and die so um, in terms of the soft tissue not the patient of course and end up with the with the zeniths in all the wrong positions or there can be a phone call and it can be okay look it's it's you know it's jack here from um from pluto dental laboratory and I, i'm just not comfortable i think that there's a better way of doing this restoration had you considered actually doing a temporary on this case so that we can actually start manipulating that soft tissue out and, 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 and creating that soft tissue architecture so that I can deliver you a crown that you're going to be proud of and that that patient's going to look at you and say, wow, you've given me a tooth that I didn't think I could ever have, as opposed to a tooth on the same implant that could be ridge lapped or way over contoured with the soft tissue the way that it is and blanching the hell out of the patient and really having an awful experience and never wanting to refer a patient back to the practice. Yeah, and really I, I think it's because um, when you're new with implantology, you don't even know that you can control the soft to soft tissue contours and how to manipulate. I think you showed me a lecture. No, maybe you just told me o- over a video chat one day. No, that was the guide. How- le- that was the guide lecture I gave you that you were yeah. yeah. Yes. Um I, I had the best nap of my life, but I feel like <laughs> what I got from that was when you look at someone's smile, the aesthetics of a smile, the contours of their gum line have such an impact on the aesthetics. How do you get that curved, beautiful scalloped gum line that's symmetrical um, across teeth? It's through manipulating soft tissues with provisionals. And, and Rob actually taught me how to do this over time through reviews. Do you have any just basic tips on that? How to, I mean, obviously it's a full hour lecture, people, like he's going to just give the basics but look it, it just comes back to you everything comes back to communication simple the dentist calls hey rob i've got this case it's fantastic you know the implants integrated what do we do now it's my first single central awesome come into the lab <laughs> let's pour up the model come into the lab let's make a temporary and let me talk you through it you know and, and that's what you want out of your laboratory you want to have the availability for the life of me i just don't know how people send their work overseas and have great communication you know, I, I can't imagine packing something in a box and sending it off. Off you go, kids, see you in a few weeks and 
get a surprise package back, particularly with anterior work and implant work at, at, at best. So that would be my tip. If, 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 there is, if there's young dentists out there listening to this, um, a great tip there, to talk to your, your reps, the implant reps, and ask who the good guys are in the, around the traps, who are the reputable labs, who are the good technicians that have been around for a while, got some runs on the board, and, and, and pick the phone up and have a chat with them. Yeah, because I think this kind of thing with implant dentistry, you have to learn it case by case. Like in this case, in this particular absurdly specific situation, this is what we would consider, this is what we would do. And you just have to go through that a handful of times until you start seeing emerging patterns because it's not, you can't give a blanket statement here on, you know, a single podcast of this is how to pick components and this is, it, it depends. It, it just it really just comes down to, and, and a really good mate of mine, Jean-Marc Etienne, he's a, he's a French, great name, he's a French ceramist, part of the oral design group, and we're sitting down having similar debate, you know, chat that we are now, how can we do things better and, and what, what's, what are our expectations? And, and I think that he summed it up beautifully. You know, it's like a Polaroid picture, you know, you love what it looks like when it's developed, but you've got to understand the science of how it's developed. And when you can come to terms of, okay, you know, dentistry is a Polaroid picture, start with what the end looks like and work your way backwards every time with everything that we do. You've got to have that end game in mind first and foremost and then work your way through it. If you just jump in and then try and go the opposite way, it, it, it really works out. And would you say even before the fixture was placed, would you have advice for the dentist saying, hey, I haven't even placed the fixture, but I want my end result to look like this, a single central symmetrical to the other one? There's just so much technology available to us now, isn't there? You know, with Simplant, with DTX, with so many, Blue Sky, with so many planning softwares that are available, that um, I think it's almost negligent not to, not to plan implants these days or have a virtual surgery session for, for people that are getting into implants to start off with. And, you know, you might find in those in that, in that little virtual planning session that that implant certainly isn't going to be upright. There's going to be an ankled issue there because that's, that's the only bone available. Or that alveolar ridge might be really thin. The buccal plate might be really thin. You know, it's not that ideal situation to get the implant placed where you want to have screw access. Um, and at that point in time, that's where the penny should drop. Okay, I only have one option here. I need to use an angulated screw channel prosthetic which implant is going to afford me that that availability and that's where the decisions then made as to which implant is placed or or the request to the periodontist or the oral surgeon or the the implant dentist that that takes on referral based implant uh, placements that's where the conversation needs to be had at that point before before the scalpels even touch the soft tissue yeah because i think we can know in advance where the bone is gone are the days where we open up and go, oh, that's where it was and that's where it, it's placed. But even things like um, depth, depth of the implant and different systems, implant systems have different um, depth recommendations, but you can control that height of your zenith based on how deep you place it. Absolutely. And, and you know, subcrestal placements are such a big thing today. And, and I had a phone call and I really I, I came close to tears, you know, beautiful soft tissue work on a case. The implant had been placed really subcrestal, and and here's a tip that I'm going to give to everybody in a second. But um, the, it's single central, and and uh, got the phone call back saying I just couldn't get the crown down. And I said, well, did you take a PA? Because you know a lot of internal connections, and I know the particular person that placed the implants, he has a habit of sinking them quite deep. It sounds like there's a bone issue, 
And sure enough, when the PA came through, you know, it was, it was incredible. It's like somebody bought a, a tunnel down to the implant <laughs> and the bone had just basically, you know, formed around probably three to four millimetres of, of height of bone on top of the head of the implant um, in, a, in a nice big channel. And, of course, the impression, a thin impression coping got, went down there. But when we made, and in this particular case, we had to do a, um, a UCLA abutment on here with this particular implant system because it was so deep and, you know, a, a CAD CAM type crown wasn't going to work because the thimble would have been too short or, or the insert would have been too short. It didn't fit because we weren't aware that there was bone there. So a really good tip to every dentist out there is that when you put the impression coping on the fixture and it's fitting nicely, take a PA of it, which most of you will do anyway to make sure that the impression coping is down and seated, but send that to the lab because then we have got a clear picture of where to start the emergence profile. And, and with a lot of these implants that are being placed subcrestal, we don't know that because all we're getting is an impression and we're pouring up a model of a replica. So I think that that's a really good tip and it's caught me out twice in my career now. Uh, and as and a lot of my, as you know, a lot of my, my dentists that I work with, I really love getting a PA of, of that, particularly if it's an anterior crown, to know where we can start the emergence profile from and, and quite often it really does start from the fixture. It's 2022, a time where cloud-based software is enhancing every aspect of our lives. So why not leverage those same capabilities in something we use every day? Our dental practice management software. Imagine a platform rethought from the ground up, intuitive and intelligent, using the possibility of today's technology for your patients and your business. A solution that optimizes our daily workflows, creating the edge that modern dentists need to stay competitive and connected. Principal practice management software is this solution. Efficient, intelligent, intuitive. Because it's 2022 and you expect better. Go to principal.dental to learn more. Rob, I think the world of implants is already confusing enough, but thank you for shedding some light on the prosthetic side of it and ways that we can help ourselves. But really the overarching message is talk to your technician. They can guide you through it. And if you're not with a lab that has a team of technicians that can that are really comfortable having these conversations with you, a lot of techies know that yeah, there are young dentists out there that might be new to it, then you don't have to accept that. Pick a lab that will will be more than willing to guide you through those early cases and even point you in the direction of mentors that can help you on the clinical side. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And and just, you know, there are there are no cheap ways of doing good implant restorative work. You know, there are no shortcuts because it does end up biting you in the end. Another really good thing that somebody taught me, I think it was Wally Franklin years ago, he was Sydney's best ceramist for years and a, and a pioneer and a mentor of mine. And uh, he said, look, make sure you charge a lot for implants because you're going to make a mistake once or twice and then it's going to take you 10 or 12 implant crowns to make up before you break even again because the componentry costs are so bloody expensive. You know, and, and it's it's a really good adage. It is it, it is not just general crown and bridge dentistry. It's, it's very much a niche experienced area for technicians to be involved in and there needs to be a really good understanding. Um, I remember Dave Grosberg Wonderful periodontist in Sydney uh, for any dentist out there looking to, to use periodontists, if you can get him. So he actually took time for me as a young technician. You know, I'd only been out a couple of years, started my own business, and I was all of about 23, stupid. 
And uh, but word had got out that I was, was was sort of interested in implants. And here's Sydney's leading periodontist coming to my little laboratory over in Willoughby, and spending hours with me drawing emergence profile, and saying if I wanted if you if there's one thing that I can get across to you, Roberts, learning emergence profile, because I spend my life protecting soft tissue, and I don't want you stuffing it up. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> you know, and 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 that's stuck with me my whole career, you know, and any time I'm teaching technicians in my lab, um, I hammer them on emergence profile and I spend hours and hours and hours shaping crowns with, for, to get the right emergence profile and it takes years of experience to understand what that looks like. Yeah. Look, I think you've shared so many good tips around making good lab decisions with implants, picking genuine componentry or really top quality componentry, not trying to cut corners. The cheapest option is usually the most expensive Mm, um, path that you're going to go down. Um, Having a really good ceramist, understanding the soft tissue implications of the choices that you're making, but working with a ceramist that's going to guide you through it if it's something that's new to you as well. I think they're just like really, really good tips. Look, it just needs to be a really good team sport. We all talk about that and we joke about it, but it really is. You know, you've got to get along with each other. You've got to be a little bit humble sometimes each way and and uh, and just keep the focus that the only person that really matters in the relationship is the patient. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.